Hello, and thank you for joining us for this installment of the Extant Podcast. My name is Mike. And I'm Dave, and this is show number 17, where we'll be talking about season two, episodes six and seven of the CBS summer series Extant. And this double episode contained the titles You Say You Want an Evolution and The Other, which aired on August 5th, 2015. And the first episode was written by Pamela Davis and directed by Kevin Dowling. And the second was written by Mike Werb and directed by Adam Kane. And I was hoping for a nice flowing together two hour, like a movie almost. And I think it did accomplish that actually. And then I stopped to think about it and I thought, you know what? The whole season is like that. If you strung it all together, it'd probably be like one giant movie anyway. Well, you know what? I definitely agree with you, Mike, because when I was putting the notes together, there really wasn't a clear line of demarcation (laughs) between the two episodes. And for a while, I just called it transition scene rather than opening scene of the second episode. Yeah, that's true. I I don't think I did make a specific note of when it switched over because I wasn't watching the clock. But yeah, good episode. And and I think it had so many huge revelations that definitely felt like a turning point. And I think that's what's key to it being a two-hour episode and feeling like a, a special episode. One thing that I want to bring up that's kind of puzzling, and it, it might lead into your ratings discussion, Dave, is that this week's extant review for Den of Geek is the last one. They actually cut me off <laughs> from writing those uh, because they weren't getting enough clicks. Now, I write a lot of other reviews that do get a lot of clicks for other shows, and I'm just thinking to myself... Do you think Extant has such a vastly different audience from the regular genre fans that the people who would go to Den of Geek and and read a review are not necessarily the same type of people who are watching Extant? You know, that's a good question. I'm not sure. You know, obviously one of the initial draws to Extant, aside from the sci-fi element, is of course Halle Berry. So that somebody like my mother was drawn to the show initially, but she didn't keep with it. Uh, I'm not sure. That's a good question. I do think we're getting new listeners to this podcast that are not podcast listeners or haven't listened to podcasts in the past. I definitely have gotten that indication on Twitter. So I think it's kind of in that same vein where it's a completely different type of fan that this show has, even though it's sci-fi. Yeah. All right. So the, the ratings were pretty much flat this week, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Another 0.8 and a three share for the evening. They also had the most total viewers at both 9 o'clock and 10 o'clock, and they gained viewers at 10 o'clock. So, you know, generally shows do pick up viewers as the night goes on, and Extant did that. Yeah, and I can't wait to hear. There's a audio feedback we're going to be sharing later that talks about how this second season has just been so much better for the general viewing audience and the genre viewing audience to really ramp up the excitement. And I think that's been true for the most part. I've really enjoyed this season more because of the sort of clearer focus, the more cohesive focus of the story. Well, and I think also the two major storylines that we've been talking about have started to really come together. And I think it's clear at this point that we do have a fundamental overarching question that has to do with should man play God? And if he does play God, what are the ramifications of it? And then we even have the smaller questions, which are certainly large by any other standards. But what does it mean to be sentient? And then does it matter how you gain your sentience? Exactly. What 
path did you take to get there? Uh, that I think that's a really good one. And they're starting to merge a little bit because you talked about playing God, which is a very clear theme of the artificial life situation, but it's also starting to come into play with playing God uh, with the fate of the hybrids. And so, yeah, yeah the, those two themes are really coming together. And, and it's just been really strong thematically this season too, uh, exploring those really deeper issues. Well, why don't we go ahead and get into our episode discussion? All right, Mike, episode 206, you say you want an evolution, although I do want to keep singing it and and pronounce it evolution. (laughs) But uh, anyway, you know, you mentioned last time about the sketchy science that we've been presented with in this show. (laughs) And and I think that continues here, but I don't care. No, me either. It's just entertaining. (laughs) Yeah. So we find out in this opening scene that Molly's DNA has apparently mutated into a triple helix. And she's changing into a hybrid crossbreed species. I just love the blue and yellow and red circles indicating human and hybrid and alien kind of mixing up together in there. But it does get across the message. And that's really what's important. Does the visual help the audience understand what's going on? Exactly. And then she then wonders whether what's happening to her occurred when she was in space. Is it something the GSC did to her? Is it something the fetal cells did to her? And we have a winner there. Yeah, exactly. And I think this was something that we predicted as soon as we saw she was undergoing symptoms. We knew it had to be coming from her having been pregnant. Right. Now, I'm not sure I'd want somebody that claimed to have gotten a D minus in biology to (laughs) extract bone marrow from me. And of course, she just happened to have her bone marrow extraction device. Yeah, I think technology wins the day here because that's not something a layman could do. In our time. No, although I guess to be fair, he does claim to have had a lot of battlefield medical experience, which, you know, you you can imagine. Uh, I'm sure they had medics, but I'm sure also all the soldiers had to be trained at least to patch somebody up so that they could be evac'd out of the battle scene. Right. Well, we got two main stories, you know, one Molly and the military and, and their different approaches and then certainly the humanic story so why don't we start with molly in the military and the episode opens with her claiming to want to reverse what's happening to her but it becomes pretty clear pretty early on that even jd is pretty aware that she may be waffling on that one yeah i think she's grasping at straws and taking desperate measures she's not sure what's going on with the hybrids yet at this point so she's trying to find the solution for her problem and it could kill her but not acting could also kill her so i think that's why she's going after this solution right and she claims and you mentioned the little colored circles that she has enough human cells that she feels like she's got a fighting chance to reverse the process again i'm not sure what she's basing that on (laughs) yeah just kind of uh out of my head science right but she immediately wants to go to the GSC lab to use their equipment and JD cautions her and rightly so, which then, you know, leads to his decision later on. And we'll get to that in the second episode about him going to try to get his daughter out of prison. Well, what what does he think they're going to do to him? Yeah, he's kind of got a black mark on his record already just from having his license revoked. So, yeah, he's not going to be able to get very far. Yeah. All right. So Molly goes to see Ethan on a visitation. And I don't know about you, but at first I assumed she was late by her reaction. But as 
turns out she was actually early. Yeah, and this whole scene is kind of confusing for me based on the last episode where she was fighting so hard for him. And now she has to tell him that they won't be able to spend time together just yet because she's sick. And I guess I get that from the narrative standpoint. They need to not have Molly worrying over Ethan while she's fighting her battles. But at the same time, they could maybe spare some time for a visit. But I think what they're also going for here is some motivation for Ethan. But I thought it was interesting that they juxtaposed her having to miss their appointment with J.D., missing his daughter's doctor appointment, I guess uh, a sonogram or maybe her initial prenatal appointment. Right. And we've been critical of this show when it deserves it. But but I think obviously it's coming across loud and clear that we both really, really like season two. Is it a perfect episode? Of course not. That brings up the question of J.D.'s wife, who he finds at his cabin when he returns. And okay, what's the point of that? Exactly. I'm not sure if they're setting up something, a conflict to happen later on, but obviously the daughter pregnancy still being on the table and not being just a red herring, making us think that she's got a hybrid baby to keep JD motivated. There's going to be something else happening in the future, but it just doesn't feel like that here. Okay. Well, as we move on, I do have a theory on a possibility, although okay, uh, I don't think it's all that great. A one. <laughs> it's far-fetched. Uh, well, anyway, we'll get to it. All right. <laughs> so then we see Anna meeting with, I'm calling them the Joint Chiefs. I don't know. Okay. Do we ever actually <laughs> learn what this group is? You know, some kind of war room group, I guess. Right. And we learned that the hybrids have been able to mimic the 98 degree body temperature, which is obviously what's allowing them to avoid detection. And they've been learning a lot of different strategies, apparently, when we find out more from Adu. So they are learning very quickly. Yeah. And I love the scene because, number one, Lucy is just so damned impressive. But I like the first thing when they're talking and she goes, uh, I'm right here. You can ask me. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to ask Anna everything. <laughs> exactly. Now, they want to know how it is that she recognized that hybrid in the restaurant, even though the temperature wasn't an available clue, although I thought looking back yeah, it was. it totally was. So I'm not sure why she didn't argue against that, but if they are indeed able to mimic the 98-degree body temperature now, then she uses the argument that they're emitting delta waves, which only occur in human sleep, and they're impressed by that answer as well. Right. But one of the other things, and you mentioned at the top of the show how many reveals we get in this episode, that the hybrids are multiplying pretty quickly. Obviously, at this point, we're down to, I guess, a two-month gestation period. Really? Is that it? The accelerated pregnancy, right? Yeah. I mean, the the Chinese woman that we see later, that's... Oh, right. So, two-month turnaround. And the feeling that comes across among the joint chiefs in this meeting is that the humans are defenseless against the aliens. Yeah, I think that's true. They have more and more likelihood that they're not going to be able to use the strategies that they put into play, whether it's body temperature or anything else. Tracking down the dead bodies of the mothers even is going to be taken off the table. Right Now, they do want to know the status of the virus that Molly's been working on, then they want to know how quickly more humanics can be put into the field. And we knew this was coming. Yeah. And is it Anna that answers that they're going to be able to do it really quickly without really even consulting Juliet? Yes. I thought that was interesting that they said, yeah, we can get hundreds ready right away. Because I guess the chassis are ready. 
Right. The bodies are ready. They just don't have the programming. Right. And, and well, they have the programming. They just need to upload it. Yeah. Well, I think the biggest thing was that I think Julie planned to have them each be individuals rather than copies of, because <laughs> that's kind of an, a shortcut to just copy Lucy's template over. <laughs> that's actually, I think, what's probably going to end up being the key factor in Lucy's domination or something like that is the fact that she has the same life experience as all of her brothers and sisters other than Ethan. Right. Now, the other thing that comes out of this really information-rich scene is that as Molly's walking to Toby's office, Lucy scans her, and the reading comes up inconclusive. It kind of goes back and forth, right? Yeah, and I almost thought she was going to say something, but perhaps her programming didn't allow for her to say anything if it was inconclusive. But also, I'm wondering if she's playing it close to the vest and keeping that secret to herself for the time being. Right. And, and does that have something to do with the fact that she does believe, I think, that Molly is Ethan's mother? Mm-hmm. Yes. So perhaps she's willing to give her the benefit of the doubt temporarily. Well, we find out that Nate took Molly's virus work, tweaked it, and it's ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> All of a sudden. That's kind of interesting. And I think we're also, this is another thing we'll hear later from a, a feedback person about how did that exactly happen? And what form will it take if they do end up dispersing it? Right. And one of the things that comes out of this episode is, is the idea of prejudice, tolerance, and all that. Because, you know, we hear several references to you people <laughs> and, you know, the whole thing that they want to ramp up production to wipe those hybrids out for good. It's supposed to have the undertones of genocide and, and you know, wartime prejudices like in World War II, that sort of thing. Right. But what comes across to us clearly is that that's fine, but Molly's one of them now. So this is going to kill her. Right. And I think it's interesting, too, with the audience viewpoint being that I don't know if you felt this way. I almost was thinking to myself, well, that would be a viable sacrifice to make if you knew that you dying would also get rid of a potentially harmful to the entire planet type of threat, then go ahead and do it. And I think Molly does think that at some point before she starts being persuaded to Adu's side. Right. And it does become a question of evolution. Do we tamper? Should man, getting back to the question about man playing God, should man tamper with evolution? Because that's what we're dealing with here. Or also, should an alien life form be able to manipulate man's evolution in order to make them better, supposedly, like from whose point of view? Right, right. All right, well, we see Molly at the GSC lab, and she asks Nate for the spores, tries to download the data, but she does get a lot of data before the system alerts to her as an unauthorized user, and she tries to get out of the building. Soldiers stop her, and she goes all hybrid on them and escapes with the partial data. I was kind of surprised that they even bothered saying that she had partial data and that rejected her because it seemed like she did have a pretty complete set of data <laughs> well she certainly had enough yeah as, as it turns out but i did like the fact that she was able to use her hybrid nature to her advantage she says later that she can't control it when she meets with jd but it seemed like she was pretty much in control when she used it to escape well you wonder if it was just instinct that yeah. Brought that to the surface because even when she's talking to Adu later at the episode when they're out at the uh, listening station that she can't control it. And he tells her, but you can learn. That's true. And, and we've seen this before in other shows where they learn to control their special abilities. 
And yeah, instinct could be a stress, the fact that she had to escape and her fight or flight kind of a thing kicking in. Uh, but yeah, she can't do it at will. Right. Now, she lets him know about the GSC and the virus and what their plan is. And she lets him know, and of course, we all know this, that she, of course, needed an exact gene pairing, which can only be. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, only her son can help her get this cure for herself going. Of course, that's the case. Right. So any of our science-y listeners out there can tell us that uh, you guys should have paid more attention in high school. because (laughs) That's real. Yeah, I doubt it. But she does then go back to that whole idea of that psychic connection and figures she just needs to figure out how to find his signal. (laughs) This is where it also gets a little fishy. Maybe we have a psychic connection of some kind. Well, yeah. Okay. But it gets even better because JD figures, well, they're going to be looking for us. We need an inconspicuous vehicle. So let's get this Porsche 918 Spider, which is close (laughs) to 900 horsepower. Well, it still looks like a futuristic vehicle, so it's not self-driving. And I think that was one of the advantages of the Jeep was that he was in control. But yeah, (laughs) was this just kind of a fun JD character moment? (laughs) Well, it it looked like a a car that Kellogg would be driving. But (laughs) uh, well, and and I guess, look, not to go off on a tangent, but it's, it's an issue that all shows that decide to set themselves in the far future because, you know, we're. 30, 40, 50 years in the future, how do you handle vehicles? So that my guess is simply this little garage he went to, it was a storehouse for a lot of high-end classic vehicles. Well, no, because this is a modern version. Did you see it had kind of futuristic modifications to it? Yeah, I'm not sure. (laughs) Well, the thing that I think is a larger category for this car thing is that he also had the big cache of weapons in the big vault, you know? And it just seems like JD has a lot of resources <laughs> at his beck and call. And he, I don't know if you can consider it to be maybe overly convenient, but it certainly is helpful. Well, again, it's somebody that has an overall general mistrust of the government, and, and rightly so. You know, we, we get little bits and pieces of his experience during the Second Kuwait War. Mm-hmm. Is he a prepper? Well, apparently, yeah. Yeah, it looks like it. <laughs> and with good reason. Well, all right, so there. On the road, Molly's trying to figure out how to pick up the hybrid signal. When she decides to plug in the graphene drive that has her GSC files, the alien message about help me Mm -hmm. comes up. And then I'm not sure how she made the leap to the fact that they sent this message from their home planet, but she wants to send a message back. Okay. Yeah. Turn up the speakers on the Porsche. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Yeah. All right. So because everybody knows you get a better signal if you go to a higher <laughs> elevation. Yeah. That's what they do. Her wound from the marrow becomes infected. I guess that's just there to show us then later how quickly she heals. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but the whole idea, though, where she sees the wartime images from JD's experience, is that just simply from him touching her? Yeah, it's another manifestation of her hybrid powers. And I think it's also manifested later when Adu or somebody in the in Adu's camp, I think it was Adu, talks to JD directly about his life experiences. I think even Ares brings up a couple of things that he knows about JD that he shouldn't know. So obviously we're just seeing that they can connect that way. Right. I mean, he mentions later about him killing hundreds of his own and our information about his war experience is still kind of sketchy i know we know he got a dishonorable discharge 
Yeah, so it's not dishonorable discharge, and I assume it had something to do with friendly fire because he mentioned friendly fire back during the drone attack. Okay, because then when uh, Ares mentions about killing hundreds of his own, mm-hmm. obviously the first inclination is to think, okay, friendly fire, but he probably just means killing other humans. Uh, maybe. I guess we'll find out. I think that is going to come into play, so we'll see. All right, well, talk to me about this scene with Molly and JD just lying on the ground, staring up at the stars, bearing <laughs> their... What's the point? Well, because a lot of people like the chemistry between these two characters. We're having a tender moment, and they need to talk about how they feel about being parents and how he failed as a father, and she doesn't see it that way. She sees him as a genuinely good person. So I think it's really just going to be a relationship moment, a, a moment to bring them closer together so that you know, everything they do can be motivated now by a closer relationship because up until now, JD has been motivated by a sense of duty, but now he's going to actually have feelings for Molly, I think. And this was the beginnings of that. So in other words, just tease the shippers. Exactly. (laughs) Okay. Okay. All right. Well, Molly and JD walk through the woods. They come across a young girl. And at first I'm thinking like, well, wait a minute, wasn't it just night? But then he, I think he does say we've been walking for hours. So I guess they they could have. And this is where she actually, had tuned into where Adu was. She heard the fractal sound again, right during the end of that tender moment you just mentioned. And so I guess they're coming across this encampment and the young girl is the closest person that they get to when they're, when they're exploring. Right. And tells her we've been waiting for you. And obviously this is then the next big reveal. She takes Molly and JD to a house and we see that there are dozens of hybrids including Adu there. And and this is the Osgood listening station, which is an army outpost, but I don't think it's a real army outpost. I couldn't find anything. They made that up. I think what struck me is that it very much has a commune vibe to it, even from the way they're dressed and everything, where Adu is like some kind of spiritual leader. Right. So Adu then tells her that they're the same, and Molly lets him know, well, I don't want to be the same. Mm Mm-hmm. So still at this point, she wants to reverse the process, and it's up to Adu, and he does it masterfully, get her to think about what possibilities really exist with the gift that she's been given, and I think he perceives it as a gift. Now, the little girl calls Adu daddy, which then would mean this is her granddaughter, right? I think it would be great if everyone in the camp just called her grandmother as kind of like an honorific but yeah, she technically is everyone's grandmother except for Adu, who's the son. Well, you know, then it goes back to a question that I had as I'm watching this episode on on the rewatch is that Molly is point zero, right? I mean, everybody is related to Molly. Right, because originally the spores were going to come from the seraphim down on Earth, and then there would be a bunch of different origin points. But right here, there's only one. Now, she tells him she needs a sample of his DNA so that she can work on reversing the process. And in the end, he agrees to let her take blood. Right. I I think it's very advanced of him to not resort to the yellow eyes, the persuasion by force, uh, which it's easy to ignore. Once he starts getting a little bit nicer about his persuasion, it's easy to forget that they killed all the pregnant women and they had mind control by force. And I think they're learning that that's a bad thing. They just didn't know what they were doing. So he does allow Molly to come to her own decision. And I think part of the most persuasive piece for her is when he takes her hands 
and shows her exactly what happened to this alien life form that has come to Earth to try and find suitable hosts and a suitable home. Right. But you know what? You just said what I think a lot of people that watch the show are thinking. In fact, my wife said the same thing as I was watching it, that, well, they killed the mothers. No, they didn't kill the mothers. Right? It was the process. Mm-hmm. And that I, I think as they've seen and we've seen the transformation in Adu, we're a lot more sympathetic to them when we hear him explain that, you know, it's not going to do that anymore. We didn't know it would do that. Right. Almost, I mean, I don't think he says the words, but it's almost as if had we known it would have had that effect, we wouldn't have done it. Now, maybe they would have, but. Right. And I think we're meant to side with him. It's it's not something I'm suspicious about. You know, I do being more persuasive and ignoring the horrible things that they've done is not to trick us, I feel like. I think they are, are really trying to set up a situation where the aliens just didn't realize that what they were doing was bad, and now they've learned a lot about humanity in their time on Earth. Right. Now, I don't know if this qualifies as a sci-fi trope. If, it, even if it does, I'm fine with it. You know, he goes through the whole thing. Why are you afraid of something you don't understand? If you knew the truth, you wouldn't be afraid. You'd be amazed. You're willing to learn. And then he shows her the reason they came here. And look, we've seen the whole aliens coming to Earth to escape a dying planet before. I mean, for goodness sakes, that's how we got Superman, right? Right. And it was a very compelling visual image to show that they had some kind of virus. I think it was interesting that it was a virus that attacked them on their home planet, since that's what's facing them here as well. But he actually wants to coexist peacefully with humans. I'm not sure if that includes taking them over altogether and merging the two species or whether they would live side by side. I'm not sure. Right. And there are some fundamental issues that come up with that of living side by side as opposed to transitioning so that everybody would be a hybrid. And I think Toby is the voice of reason in that regard. And, you know, we'll get to that in a little bit. J.D. obviously sees what's going on here, that Adu does have some sort of a hold over Molly, and I think he's afraid, and rightly so, that she's going to be convinced by his argument. But he then says, there's one more thing I want to show you, and that's the memorial they've built to every human who died to save them. Now, we could argue, I guess, ah, it's just a show to win over the humans. Mm -hmm. But I took it as genuine. No, me too. I am persuaded that Adu is well-meaning. I think we actually had this discussion when he first visited Molly, whether we thought that they were going to end up being a force for good. And here, I think they really are. I think now Toby and the whole effort to get rid of the aliens is the bad conflict here in the series rather than the alien invasion. Right, because as he says, what we're dealing with here is evolution and that Obviously, the the fundamental problem at this point is that the human race wants to exterminate the hybrids and and obviously then kill off that potential next step. Now, he does tell another young man that he thinks they found their new leader. I think that was Ares he was talking to, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I guess they only had a couple of uh, characters introduced, and Ares was one that was uh, in opposition to Adu, and, and then Helios and, and some of the other god names that come up in this episode, too. All right. Well, the B story in this episode revolves around the humanics. Julie and Lucy 
essentially coming to terms with their new world order, which obviously has changed radically as the war against the aliens gets ramped up. And it opens with Julie having bad dreams, apparently about what she did to Molly. Now, exactly what did she do to Molly? I guess wipe Ethan's memory, basically push Molly out of the picture. You know, certainly nothing to do with John's death. That comes up later. Well, yes, but the fact that that does come up in this episode means obviously Julie is feeling a lot of guilt over her past actions. And I think rightfully so. Uh, I hope that it leads to a little bit of redemption for this character. Yeah. Now, Ethan's playing with uh, a remote car at the lab. Lucy's continuing her indoctrination of Ethan and tells him, well, Julie just feels guilty. That's what humans do when they do something wrong. That's why she bought you this car and tells him that their family is expanding since humanic production is increasing. And we don't need those humans. I mean, she doesn't say that. That's obviously (laughs) what she's getting at. Yeah, again, Lucy pitting Ethan against Julie and also others around him is not making me feel great about Lucy as a character and thinking that she's not headed for good things. But in this particular case, it's interesting to note that Lucy, again, more so even than in previous episodes, is acting like she has more experience with humans than Ethan does. And Ethan has years of experience. So where is she getting this from? I don't know. Her mistrust and the fact that saying that humans lie all the time and that Ethan doesn't see it that way, I think is very interesting. Well, and that's why I said earlier in the in the show that it would be a huge mistake to underestimate Ethan, especially because, as you mentioned, his experience factor... The fact that he's 10 years old in appearance is, I think, an advantage for him. But look, Mike, that's what we do in so much science fiction. We underestimate the artificial intelligence, and it rarely has a good outcome. I think they do a great job of having Ethan react only to the input that he's given and not exactly act like a human. And I think what we're seeing with Lucy's jump to conclusions with regard to human deception is the fact that she's only going based on what information has been put into her. And that could include historical facts that don't reflect well on humanity. (laughs) Whereas Ethan has had human experience to realize that humans are good, despite what history may tell you. Right. Now, is the fact that he seems to be buying into her, humans lie, that's what they do. Mm -hmm. You can't, I mean, is that part of his, childhood persona that's allowing that to really sink in because like you said he's got more experience than she does i think what it really is is his strong desire to have a family and whenever he's excluded from a family he latches onto another family at last season it was odin and this season it's lucy right and and i really like the fact that we know she's laying the groundwork for something Mm -hmm. we just don't know what yet Exactly. And I I like that. (laughs) All right. So we find out that Anna wants 100 Humanics. And despite Julie's protestations, and I don't even know why she bothers at this point. (laughs) And Anna reminds her, I love her uh, phrasing in this. It's not a product launch. It's a war. Yeah, that's perfect, isn't it? Because that's true. Yeah. You can't worry about flaws if we're kind of in desperate times here. Right. And then Julie flashes back to a call that she made to Anna. And we're thinking is, Is this the call? Yeah, exactly. We see the exact same phone call that we saw in the premiere with the added element of seeing who's on the other end. And this is where the suspicions come into play. Now, I don't know if you were persuaded by Anna's argument later that she didn't 
caused John's death, but obviously that idea is now in Julie's head. Right. And no, I'm not persuaded. <laughs> but Julie shows Lucy how they're going to upload her neural experiences into the new humanics. And, and it kind of takes Lucy by surprise. And I understand that mm-hmm. because what that means is that her uniqueness is gone. Right. She won't have distinct brothers and sisters. They will just kind of be copies of her, at least initially. And then their experiences moving forward will cause them to be more unique. But at the same time, they start out being exactly like her. And I think the end result of that in our minds is that, uh oh, <laughs> we're going to have a bunch of Lucy's that have the same opinions about things as she does. Right. And Julie does tell her that wasn't John's original plan. His original plan was to let everybody develop individually like Ethan did. But obviously the alien war has changed the landscape. And then her question, well, will they all be me? You know, we know that's not going to bode well for the humanics program. Exactly. That's actually the most foreboding element of it, even though Lucy is also bothered by it it still doesn't lose its impact. (laughs) Now, is this the morgue that Ethan drives his car into? Because we see the body of a dead hybrid host because we see the fingernails, but then obviously we also see the humanic body parts. Oh, I didn't see any body, actually. I I guess I missed that element. I just assumed he was in a storage room with a bunch of humanic body parts only. Yeah, I thought I saw something that had long nails. You just saw the hand under a sheet. Uh, Maybe I'm wrong. I just thought that was a humanic arm, but I don't know. But we do see that little sly smile, and I I guess that's his idea Mm -hmm. to build the little robot. Yeah, and I can't wait to see how this pays off, the fact that he's building his own little army out of spare parts that Julie lets him have. Right. Now, he's talking, I guess, to the bodies. Uh, When Julie finds him rummaging through electronic parts, he wants to take them with him, he says, to fix the broken car that he has at home. And then he hits her with the old human's lie. What's he laying the groundwork for? I don't know if he... It's going to be interesting, because I think it actually is going to be laying the groundwork for something that has nothing to do with humans lie. I think it actually might end up being against Lucy or combating the influence she has over him. Oh, but I, like, I don't know. I like that because at, at first glance, you know, once we see what it is he actually is going to build that, aha, uh-huh, see, I have visual and audio proof that you lied. See, I've got it right here. <laughs> but, but like you just said, I like that even better that it's going to, I guess, bring to him front and center that he can't trust Lucy. Well, he saw one of the things his spy bots saw was Lucy trying to seduce Charlie. Yeah. So I think that's definitely going to cause some suspicions to be raised in Ethan. Okay. Now, he calls his little robot Spider, which was the (laughs) model car that JD stole. Uh, (laughs) But I I love when he refers to it as our baby brother. (laughs) Yeah. He doesn't care what form it takes. It it is related by way of being created. (laughs) Yeah. and, And it takes me back to that scene in the park that day with the little bot that goes around cleaning things up remember that the day yeah. gets damaged and he takes it back to john to get fixed right that and he felt a bond with that robot as well and you start to wonder and and certainly the elevator scene that we'll get to made me think that is there something that he is able to communicate to other intelligent machines obviously they don't have the intelligence that he has but I think he was is going to influence some other force other than the humanics that Lucy has control over. So, yeah, anything is possible with regard to Ethan surprising us. Right. So he's got this little 
robot. It's got a camera he can use to keep an eye on humans. And he tells her that she's his family. He wants to be a soldier. And then I think the first little needle in their relationship when she tells him, you build your army and I'll build mine. And I think that's going to start to drive that wedge between the two of them. Yeah. And of course, the gap widens in the second episode with her saying, you're not like one of us anymore. But yeah, here's the beginnings of that. Now, I'm not sure about the wisdom of Julie approaching Anna after you know <laughs> letting her know the uploads are complete yeah and by the way I've got some questions about John's death yeah not the best timing in the world but are you accusing me of murder <laughs> not the best time Julie uh, he better watch where you step right and mentions that accusations like this can have repercussions so you know you mentioned it a few minutes ago I don't believe Anna for a second well who else could we possibly suspect I kind of had a moment of hesitation where I thought okay, she's not coming clean here and she's not threatening Julie by saying, you know, you know, you can't go anywhere with this. You know, she's actually denying it. And so I thought, well, then who else could it possibly be? So yeah, for now, sticking with Anna. <laughs> right. I mean, technology is not perfect. Uh, you know, are these driverless cars sentient? Well, yeah, to a certain extent. I mean, certainly not anywhere near what Ethan and Lucy are and, and the humanics, but, but they have a certain mm -hmm. level of sentience. But no, it was her. Now, <laughs> on their way to the car to go home, Ethan and Julie ride in the elevator, and this is the scene I was talking about, that instead of going to P2, which looked like it was just like a couple floors down, it starts going really fast towards the top floors and then suddenly plunges towards the ground, stops suddenly. Julie's terrified. Ethan seems strangely calm. Yeah, that was really kind of eerie. Was he punishing Julie? You mean by having the elevator do what it did? Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. It's almost as though he affected that result where he just wanted to, you know, make her pee her pants. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he succeeded because at the end of the episode, we see Julie sitting on her floor weeping while Ethan sleeps and his spider watches. Yeah, very menacing. And I, I think one of the beautiful things that comes out of this episode is the way the writers have really played with our emotions regarding characters. Because, look, Julie was not a very sympathetic character over the last few episodes. Or even the entire series, really. Well, I was okay with her in a lot of season one. I mean, <laughs> you know, she was a little annoying here and there. But, but, I mean, in season one, we didn't really know about her and John. Right. It was kind of in the background, but it came to the foreground here in season two. Right. Well, now we're into the second episode of the evening, 207, entitled The Other. And we see Toby go to his car, but JD's waiting with the gun, tells him he wants some answers. And he's thought <laughs> of everything. No, nope, I disabled that. Oh, nice trick, but disabled that too. <laughs> Are you looking for this? Oh, sorry. I got it right here. Yeah, that was great. JD knows his stuff. Right. But then the scene with Shayna, again, another big reveal. She's interviewing a Chinese woman who gave birth full term after only two months. So, so that gives us an idea now of how quickly the hybrids are reproducing and how quickly they can build their army. And it gives veracity to Adu's statement that they figured out how to have the births without killing the mother, because here's right. another one that has survived it, just like Molly. Right. And then as the questioning kind of winds down, Shayna finally says, what aren't you telling me? And tells her that after a short time, 
Her son told her they're calling me, which we assume is that psychic connection with the other hybrids. And he left. And then she asks him, well, who? And she responds, the devil. Now, again, you know me, Mike, you've podcasted with me for long enough that I find connections in everything. And the response about the devil for me is another childhood's end illusion. And I'm not going to reveal what that illusion is because we got the miniseries coming That's up right. this December. <laughs> yeah, that would be a big spoiler. Yeah, it would be a big spoiler. But it is interesting that the experience that this mother has had is exactly what we would expect if the mother had survived. She's had the child for a while. She knew it was a miracle that she had this kid to begin with. But then he left to join this commune and she wasn't sure what to do. I mean, how you tell someone about that? But uh, obviously her superstitions are coming into play. And part of it is the fact that she is in the country illegally. And so there's a certain danger to her herself if she goes to the authorities. So I think part of that is in play. And it's really just to give us an idea or give the GSC team anyway, an idea of what's going on with the hybrid invasion moving forward right now in the a story of this episode molly and jd want shepherd to arrange an agreement between humans and hybrids in other words bring everybody together at the table and let's talk this out we can peacefully coexist which is of course what adu brings up but he's got this attitude toby that is that you know he's been abducted she calls it a negotiation which is in fact what it is I guess he still feels like he's in the driver's seat. If I were him, I'd probably back off a little bit. Yeah, I'd rethink that. <laughs> but obviously he's blind to everything based on his months of effort that he's expended so far, and he doesn't trust it. And you can't blame him, really. I mean, I think Molly has a very unique perspective, which we've been saying all along. She's able to be persuaded to Adu's side very quickly, but you can understand how that would still be off-putting for the average human. Well, and somebody that's in his position, which is the position of responsibility for protecting the human race. And he's another of those characters that we've been on sort of a roller coaster ride with in terms of our emotions and our feelings towards him, because I think what comes across in these episodes that he's really a villain. But when you really examine his approach, it makes perfect sense. Why would you do anything other than that? I mean... He says coexistence with the hybrids means the end of the human race. And he's right. Yeah, he's totally right. And she's trying to say stuff about it's like a medical miracle. You know, we could all survive longer. We could all have these new abilities. But it's also the extinction of humanity. It's a whole new race that's being created. And can we do that? You talked about playing God at the top of the episode. And I think in a sense, Adu and Molly are playing a little bit of God with the human race just like humans are playing God with the humanics. Right. And she mentions the fact that, well, they are half human after all, and then brings up the bargaining chip that he got her to lie before <laughs> Congress and he would be discredited. So he agrees to broker some sort of a meeting where they can talk this out. All right. And he agrees at face value. But of course, behind the scenes, he goes to his team and says, you know, this is what we're going to do. Release the virus. <laughs> right. Now, I don't know that we necessarily needed this scene, but it was OK. You know, back at GSC, Shana plays Toby the interrogation tape. And, you know, the woman mentions about her nails growing, behaviors changed. And, you know, obviously we know that the mothers become hybrids. This just reinforces it. And I guess to a certain extent, it gives 
General Shepard this information as well. Oh, yeah. I think that's exactly the purpose it serves. And it allows Shana to have some ammunition against Molly, because now that also means that Molly's testimony is going to be questionable based on her hybrid-influenced DNA. Yeah. Now, I'm not sure JD's hidden arsenal yeah. <laughs> is, is in the big scope of things, but you know, it was classic. Open the damn door. That's your password. <laughs> yeah, it was a great character moment. But yeah, I thought it was a little convenient that he had these caches of supplies, but I'll go with it. It's okay, especially since it allows them to sort of reinforce the fortifications of the commune that Adu is in charge of. I think JD is kind of a reluctant participant going along with Molly because he trusts her and, and wants to work with her. But at the same time, I think his suspicions are much higher than Molly's. Yeah, but I guess what I don't get, it's the same approach that he's clearly going to take later in the episode when he goes to try to rescue his daughter that, okay, great, you've got this weapons cache. This isn't falling skies, right? (laughs) The military still has stealth bombers, stealth jets. They could go in and just level (laughs) yeah right you know so i'm not sure what he expected to be able to do with his weapons cache extensive as it is yeah it'd be like a militia holding out in the woods right all right well shepherd lays out molly's argument to the joint chiefs and he tells them there will be no detente dr woods stands with the enemy and even though like i said he comes across as a villain it's the only call he can make. Well, that's what I love about this series in general. They did it with Lucy as well. All of the statements that Lucy makes are based in truth, even though she's going down a dark path. And same thing here with Toby. It all makes sense. You can sympathize with the bad guys. <laughs> yeah. And, and he reminds them that we have the virus, we have the humanics, and he's clearly ready to exterminate the alien hybrids. Mm-hmm. Now, the general, we find out, has released information to the news networks that Molly and J.D. are bioterrorists <laughs> and instituted a far-reaching lockdown, which apparently the people didn't appreciate because we do hear the fact that anger is rising over yeah. the fact that there's a lockdown. And we certainly, as school teachers, can relate to the <laughs> issue of a lockdown, even practice lockdowns. Yeah, exactly. I think at first they were okay with it, but after extended days where Molly and JD had not been rounded up, the public was like, all right, can we get back to the convenience of me being able to get to the corner store? Because <laughs> I right. really need to get some groceries. Exactly. All right. So we're back at Hybrid Ranch, and Molly fills in Adu and tells him that Shepard betrayed them. And, and again, I love it goes back to, you know, Lucy and Ethan and humans lie. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. And that they're going to have to lay low. And we are introduced to Ares, who at first I thought was in charge, but obviously he quickly defers to Adu and certainly has Adu's ear. Well, the fact that he's named Ares after the Greek god of war should be a pretty clear indication of his intent. Yeah. It's curious to me how they all chose their names. Yeah. All gods from different religions. Right. Did they download some encyclopedias, the way we saw Adu. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, Terra, the young girl, the goddess of the earth, Ares, and Helios, the god of the sun, the the trusted lieutenant of Adu's. Right. And we already talked about the origin of Adu's name in an earlier podcast. Right, but obviously there's a power struggle going on between the two of these. And Adu says that, well, our mother trusts him, referring to J.D., 
and Aries counters with your mother. But yeah, <laughs> like I said earlier, isn't she everybody's mother to a certain extent? <laughs> or grandmother. <laughs> right. Well, they all have different mothers, I guess. They just have uh, Adu as their father. <laughs> right. And again, on the other hand, you understand Aries being skeptical of JD, a human, being in charge of their defense. And you know what? That's what a good number two does. Reminds the leader that this is a possibility. Now, you make the call, but don't not think about it. Exactly. And, you know, J.D. reminds him that he put his ass on the line for you people. But the phrase you people is off-putting. And so he's not necessarily being all that persuasive. Right. I mean, it's off-putting to us, the viewer, because obviously it smacks of racism, but it's even off-putting to the hybrids. Exactly. (laughs) So, yeah, I think we're getting... A overarching theme of humans lie across the entire episode, both episodes. Yep. All right. So Shayna and Shepard are informed about the Chinese woman's triple helix. And then, of course, that leads Shepard immediately. Well, run the uh, database here and find out if anybody else comparison has the marker and compare it to all other blood samples. <laughs> well, we've got one. Let me guess. Yeah, as, as if it wasn't enough that Shana had told him earlier about the link to the mother's fetal tissue or whatever is, is making that uh, hybrid change in them. But yeah, that's con- confirmation that Molly is now also suspect. Right. And then asks whether or not he can stop the progression in the woman, uh, because obviously that would then, you know, down the road, enable them to stop the whole hybrid phenomenon. Yeah, exactly. And, well, we can't proceed without her consent. And then Shepard tells her, no, she's an enemy of the state. She has no rights. Yeah. And you could see the alarm in his face. It was at the uh, same scientist from last time that we saw. He's kind of shocked that Toby would go that way. Right. And, you know, that's the way I would think that we are at war and drastic measures may be called for. But like you said, he is you know, somewhat taken aback by this. Now, perhaps the best reveal in the show occurs next. Uh, yes. Shepard goes to see Taylor, which what struck me is the name Taylor, Charlton Heston's character in Planet of the Apes. <laughs> or, uh, and we've been, <laughs> we've been talking all along. Who is this Taylor? Is he the undersecretary of Homesec or who is he and why is he so cold and calculating? Well, I think we got a clear indication of why he's that way, right? Exactly. But what also comes out of this scene is that Shane is a bit angry that she still hasn't met Taylor. And probably no one else has either. (laughs) Right, exactly. Which, you know, that whole system that we see Shepard then go through, this elaborate security system, he's even got this roman coin or is it a greek coin i forget it's what. some kind of token that the computer recognizes unless the person has that in their possession no go <laughs> exactly so we learned that taylor is actually threat assessment algorithm research t-a-a-l-r <laughs> that's a little bit forced but okay <laughs> and is in fact a computer i love it and and like you said Who else knows about this? Who else has contact with Taylor? Which is an interesting question. I mean, does the president know? Yeah, who does? That's obviously someone other than just Toby, but it is really strange. And in fact, this brings a whole new theme into the show, which is something that's prevalent in our own society. Humans trust of technology and some might say overly trusting 
of the technology in their lives. And whether it's with the Humanics or here with Taylor, obviously they're putting a lot of trust in a new life form when they're talking about combating an alien life form. I mean, basically they're the same threat, but they trust the AIs that they've created, perhaps to their fault. Well, you know what? And it comes out in the film Ex Machina. I don't know if you've seen that or not yet. Unfortunately, not yet, no. <laughs> no. But the mistake that we often make is assuming that these machines, as intelligent as they are, that they're going to think like us. And they don't. They don't, yeah. Completely different thought processes. And is that true of Taylor, is the question? <laughs> because obviously he is very cold and calculating when it came to the drone strike and some other decisions that he's made in the past. But what's he going to do moving forward? I mean, obviously he's just performing that scan to find out where there might be hiding, but it's also helping inform Toby's decisions. Yeah, exactly. And, and like you said, that's a question we've got to watch. Now, while on watch with Helios, Ares scans JD, which causes I guess more wartime flashbacks. Is that, are we supposed to assume that those are images that Ares saw? Yeah, he's actually experiencing JD's life experience. Okay. Molly sees what he's doing, stops him, and after Adu gets Ares to leave, JD accuses Molly of stopping her attempt to reverse the hybrid process. And of course, we know he's right. Yeah. And you understand that. I mean, I think she sees more of what's going on, and I think she feels a certain kinship. I mean, you know, you talk about Lucy bringing up the idea of family with Ethan, and I think now she's realizing that this is her family. And do you have to wonder how much is it Molly being persuaded and how much it is her feeling a connection to her own son and the alien DNA that's inside her? Does that help her come to their point of view more quickly? Because obviously JD's suspicions are warranted. Well, and we look at her life experiences, especially as an astronaut. She's seen so many things that somebody like JD, while, look, we got to give JD a lot of credit. I mean, he has bought into a lot of amazing things along the way. But I think for her then to be placed in the middle of it, look, I mean, she's been up in space. She's seen the vastness, the beauty, whatever, the wonder. And she also was doing biological experiments up there. So I think she's also predisposed to have a wonderment for all forms of life. Right. Now, she talks to Adu about her fundamental problem. Does she want to revert to being a human or does she want to continue on the evolutionary path that she's on? And, and wow, <laughs> that's about as big a question <laughs> facing anybody. And the question is, can she get it under control because she doesn't feel like herself. There hasn't been a satisfactory explanation yet for why she has these sexual urges. And obviously that's troubling and that would be troubling to just about anyone. So yeah, I think she's got some hurdles to overcome. Yep. Now we find out that Taylor hasn't really produced any leads. Shepard's ready to make this personal. JD learns his daughter has been arrested. So, so we get the payoff pretty quickly. And then, Immediately, I'm thinking, is he going to be foolish enough to go after her? And the answer is, of course, yes. He <laughs> yeah. is foolish enough to leave, which causes another conflict between he and Ares. And again, you understand Ares' point of view that, okay, yes, you say you're not going to reveal our location. Now, whether he knows what you and I know, right? You and I know that if the military gets him, they're going to get the information out of him or kill him trying. Exactly. And that's exactly what they're after. But obviously they do get it 
by other means, but yeah, that this is a legitimate beef that Ares has. Now, of course, th- this leads him to delay JD by taking apart some of the inner workings of his car. But another thing that comes out of this scene is Tara, the young girl, referring to Molly as the leader. And we saw Adu say that, I think you mentioned to either Helios or Ares earlier. So is that the goal, really, to have her take over? Because Adu seems like the leader, but they're saying, I think we found our new leader. And they want Molly to be that. That's fairly interesting, actually. (laughs) Well, yeah. And you wonder, does it have anything to do with the fact that while I guess you could argue that they're all born out of the human race, Molly, more so than anybody, has that deeper rooted connection to the human race and that as we take over the planet i i don't mean take over in the sense (laughs) that we're taking control but as we assimilate quickly is she the best choice to have as we try to get along with the you know what's left of the human race that makes sense but what is jd thinking i mean does he think he's going to go to the military you've got my daughter i want her back uh, oh, by the way, I forgot about the fact that you've been putting my picture out across the news as a <laughs> bioterrorist. I'm with public enemy number one. Uh, what is he thinking? Well, I think this plays into JD's history and his problems with authority and his judgment is not the best in circumstances like that. All right. So, so let's assume for the sake of argument that that's in fact what he does, that Shepard places him under arrest as well, which of course he will. Why would he not? Mm -hmm. So now what role does the wife play? Well, she's a lawyer. So is this then (laughs) going to be something that she's going to come to their rescue through legal methods? So is this going to become public that my ex-husband and daughter are being held by the military with no charges? And is this going to you know, somehow spiral out of control for Shepard. I, I don't know. That's the only thing I can think of that makes sense. Well, especially since that would imply some kind of reconciliation between the judge and JD. And the fact that we have this scene that is close to the end of the episode where JD has to say goodbye to Molly and says this phrase, maybe in another life things could have been different. It almost implies that there isn't going to be fulfillment for the shippers <laughs> in this relationship between Molly and JD. Uh, and so it, it's kind of interesting that they have to go their separate ways here. Well, right. And, and I don't think though there needs to be any reconciliation between JD and his ex-wife. I mean, it's her daughter. Yeah. And in terms of presenting it to the public through the media. Well, I just thought it was interesting in juxtaposition with him saying goodbye to Molly That's all. Is that does this imply that there's not going to be a relationship between Molly and JD and that not necessarily reconcile with his ex-wife, but at least move back into that direction with his actual family? Right, right. Well, we do find out, though, that Taylor has been on the job and informs General Shepard that on a hunch it came up with a new way of looking at the situation. And this is not pseudoscience, but long story short, has identified a probable location for the hybrids. Yep, a little blank spot in his observable space, exactly the same shape as the base itself. So obviously it's a well-fortified location, and Shepard realizes that that must be where they are and puts the humanics into play. Right, because the recommendation that Taylor makes is that Shepard release the virus in conjunction with the humanics army. Because if they don't 
in six and a half months, the human genome will be diluted to the point that extinction will be inevitable. Yeah, and, and I'm so glad to see the extinction element of the extant title. Oh, am I, that's exactly what I was just going to say. Come Perfect. back into play. Yeah, because yep. that was more in play last season. It hasn't been there so much this year, but here it comes. <laughs> yeah. Now, that final scene, though, you know, you mentioned about the exchange between Molly and JD, but I love the exchange between JD and Adu that Adu, you know, lets him know that I appreciate what you've done for us. I know you're a good man. And then just that extending his hand out. I mean, it still sends goosebumps up my arm. It was just a beautiful scene. Yeah. And I think it's cementing our trust of Adu. And hopefully we won't end up looking like naive rubes here. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think so. I, I think Aries is going to be the one that uh, screws it up, tries to gum <laughs> up the works. But in the B story, Lucy is trying to manipulate Charlie on her path towards independence, self-actualization, whatever you want to call it. And Ethan tells Charlie that he's excited about his growing family and doesn't seem like Charlie sees it that way. And and I guess you understand that. But then he tells Charlie that he's the only human that's never lied to him, reprogrammed or left him. And that's why you're my BHF. (laughs) Your best human friend, right? Yeah, that's a trust that Ethan has. And I'm not sure if Lucy is taking that into account as she manipulates both Charlie and Ethan is perhaps Ethan and Charlie might also form a bond that will help them combat her influences. Right. I mean, is this a sign that Charlie's role is going to take on new responsibilities to the storyline? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Charlie shows Lucy the first male humanic to come off the line and allows her to name him perfect touch. Why Lucas? Just because it's a form of Lucy. It's the male form of her name because they're exact copies. And, you know, we saw that when they go out into the field, it was really a powerful image of her in her fatigues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She, Kiersey Clemens, I'm telling you, watch out for her. I think she's going to be uh, showing up in, in other shows very soon because of the strength that she portrays on screen. Yeah, I don't think we can speak highly enough. Yeah, she's great. Yeah. So Ethan learns that Lucas has the same memories as Lucy, and he kind of seems taken aback by it, wants to be included, asks Charlie to take a photo of the three of them, but Lucy notices Charlie's iPad that has the Humanics System primary checklist open on it, And obviously what really gets her attention, expiration date activated. Yes, very interesting. And I like that this was included and no one has really mentioned it or seen reason to mention it because it goes back to the days when John was in charge. And obviously this scene is also meant to play up the use of this uh, cube, this photo cube thing, because there's a photo cube later that comes into play with Julie and John with her archives of the Julie John days of her life. But primarily here, yeah, it's for Lucy to discover that maybe she has reason to mistrust the humans. The question is, do they all have this activated? And I think the answer is yes, at least from what Charlie tells us later. Yeah, Charlie's statement that it's just a death experience that goes along with the human life experience seems logical and at least softly delivered in a way that it's not meant to be like, just in case you became dangerous, we wanted to make sure we could turn you off (laughs) because it really is just part of what motivates humans, the fear of death. Right. But I guess the question, though, is humans 
understand that concept of death. Mm-hmm. Right? We know that's a possibility as we make our decisions. If the humanics don't know that it's part oh, of the equation. Right. They need to know about it in order for it to work. You're right. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right. But, you know, the other thing that comes up in Lucy's conversation with Charlie about that is, again, the idea of the rights of the AI and humanics should be free if they are to die because I'm more human than you think, Charlie. I wish you understood that. Well, that's a good point on her part. It is a good point. It, it also has a eerie ring to it yeah it sort of does but i i hadn't thought of the point that you mentioned earlier that they need to know about the death because i think that would maybe make lucy act more rationally if she had that fear of death put into play all right well we see ethan in bed charlie's reading him a story to go to sleep by but it's a children's story he tells her i don't want that i want something that lucy would read and we end up getting huck finn Interesting choice. <laughs> All right. Well, the other thing, and I, I won't go too deep into this one, Charlie retrieves the book from Julie's nightstand, which you never know what you're going to find in a, <laughs> in a woman's nightstand. In a woman's <laughs> nightstand. And, and now, having said that, you wonder what's her reaction going to be when she finds out Charlie went in there, even if it was just to get the book. Yeah, and it's surprising that he needs this revelation. I mean, didn't he know that? There was a thing with John. I guess he didn't between John and Julie. I guess I felt he did not know about the two of them. And it takes us then to the scene where he's drinking, which is totally out of character. I mean, we've never seen that side of him. Yeah, it's it's surprising. But I guess it makes sense that that would have been secret this long. If it was secret from Molly, I guess Charlie would have been left in the dark as well. All right. But what do you make of this scene? I mean, it is a clearly manipulative situation. On the one hand, it's kind of expected, but he's drinking, his heart's been broken. And after he, you know, gives that whole thing, you know, the heart wants what the heart wants. I forget how he actually said it, but she says, well, what do you want that you can't have? And then clearly she wants to have sex with him because she claims it's going to add to her experience and (laughs) well it's total manipulation on her part i mean she's using that as an excuse to have something to hold over on him right and he he even mentions well this is illegal misuse of government property and you wonder well (laughs) what's illegal i mean do they have laws exactly well he's just making stuff up it's like this can't be in accordance with company policy (laughs) And I I certainly don't mean to imply for a second that the two shows are watching each other. But, you know, the same thing is happening in humans. Exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking is the dilemma with regard to the possibility of having sex with a android, a human looking robot. Right. And then he mentions that he could go to jail. And she says, only if somebody tells. And then we see (laughs) Ethan's little robot watching them. Yeah, and this is where I came up with that theory that I think Ethan seeing this particular scene is what's going to raise alarm bells with regard to Lucy and perhaps lead to some more awakenings for him. Right, that wedge is getting bigger. Mm -hmm. Now, Charlie's awakened by an alert for Lucy to report to GSC headquarters. The Humanics are being armed for immediate deployment, and we see that scene of her coming in wearing fatigues, and it's just like, wow. Yeah, exactly. It's like, that almost looks better than the... uh 
white dress or, or some of the other things we've seen her in. Yeah, oh, it definitely does. Uh, <laughs> Lucy says goodbye, and Ethan wants to go with her, and she tells him that she doesn't want to go to war, but that it fulfills her programming, which I don't believe for a second. I think she does want to go to war. Exactly. But then she says, you're not like us. You never will be. And then, again, you go back to the episode title, The Other, and she's telling somebody that is exactly like her that you're the other. And again, that rarely has positive consequences. Well, especially since all along she has been manipulating the situation very skillfully. And for her to make such a gaffe as to say something like this to Ethan is surprising because obviously that's going to have repercussions. Yeah. Charlie apologizes for the previous night. She kisses him on the cheek and tells him not to worry. In full sight of everyone. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we're back in General Shepard's office. Lucy's being briefed and it's clear she's going to lead a two-person recon mission she's ordered not to engage the enemy and then we see that Shayna tells toby she's put in for a transfer because she knows she's not going to get what she wants here and you wonder how much of it really deals with the fact that she knows a lot of his decisions are related to personal feelings for molly and and that's one of those things that i i continue to wonder about because on the one hand his decision to go full bore, release the virus, bring in the Humanic Army, that's what makes sense. Well, but it's the same thing they did with Director Sparks, who had kind of a father-daughter thing going on with Molly in season one. It's something that they can hold over the character as, this is why you make decisions that are in Molly's favor. I think it's kind of a narrative device in a way, but it affects Shana directly. And I think in this case, her being transferred to Washington, D.C., is going to set up the situation we mentioned last week or the week before where Shana is going to become a foil for Toby at some point where she's going to either stage a coup or at least be the instrument of Toby's downfall. Yeah. Well, we see Lucy and Lucas break through the perimeter fence. And then in the closing scene, Lucy and Lucas are close enough for them to clearly see Molly. Lucy targets Molly. Yeah. When Lucas reminds her that their orders were to not engage, and it was just subtle but so powerful of her finger releasing from the trigger. Right. And is this because Lucas said it? I mean, it's interesting that Lucas did restrain her when she had that instinct because they are essentially the same person. But obviously that's going to be part of her programming that is in Molly's favor. Kind of surprising. Right. And and we've certainly been down this path before with Lucy and following orders, not following orders, you know, improvising on her own. And at this point, being reminded of what their orders actually are. And you wonder, is it still that conflict that this is Ethan's mother? It's just all so muddy at this point, which on the one hand, I love. Yeah, I think it might be part of this idea of the other. The fact that you have Lucas in the equation now makes it so it's not just her making her own decisions. Yeah. So now you've got this conscience on the outside of you in the form of Lucas keeping her in check. Now, they were ordered not to engage. Apparently, Helios (laughs) didn't get the memo. Right, exactly, (laughs) because he engages them. I love it. They pretend they were deer hunting, but Helios scans them. And knows they're not human. Interesting. Yeah. And then Lucy knocks him out, puts him in the Jeep, and lets Shepard know they found all the hybrids. And obviously that's where the episode ends. 
And that's what's going to motivate whatever action is taken moving forward. Probably something to do with the virus, I would assume. Right. So, you know, we're left with a lot of questions, you know, many of which we've already posed. But why is Lucy so determined to take out Molly? I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know that she's determined. It's just the question that comes into play of her being a hybrid makes her wonder what's going on. But yeah, it might have something to do with wanting the humanics to be one big family. And Molly is an obstacle to that. Okay. Now, the other thing that comes up is that we've got a lot of disputes percolating below the surface and some on the surface between the various ranks, which opens up myriad possibilities. I mean, obviously, Aries and Adu do not see eye to eye on Molly's role as the leader of the group Mm -hmm. and whether or not we trust the humans, whether or not we try to peacefully coexist. Obviously, history has shown us that peaceful coexistence is a difficult thing to achieve and often doesn't happen. Or at least is temporary if it does happen. That's right. Fundamentally, who is entitled to live on Earth? Humans, hybrids, the AI. <laughs> and we talked about some themes that we saw in other shows. And I think of the peaceful coexistence that Defiance is always working on <laughs> throughout the three seasons it's been on the air. Who's entitled to live on Earth, uh, whether they immigrate there or not. And I think in a, in a sense, that same theme is being explored here. Right. The other thing that always gets me about a lot of science fiction shows is the tendency to underestimate the aliens, but then also for the showrunners and the writers to have us believe that the aliens are not as powerful as they actually should be. Well, that's true, because they show us certain powers, and then they are mysteriously not used in certain situations. And I think in the case of these aliens, it's the mind control aspect. Right. And when you think about it, that above everything else would cause the most problems. It's like, fine, we're going to peacefully coexist, except this population knows exactly what I'm thinking. Exactly. <laughs> but I don't know what they're right. As well as the other powers that the high. Yeah. It have. doesn't matter if you stop killing the mothers, the hosts, when you are born, the fact that you can control our minds and look into our secrets is going to be a problem. <laughs> I mean, because I think the biggest area of concern for me would be sports. <laughs> I know what play you're going to run. <laughs> exactly. Right. You got to, to the heart of the matter there, Dave. <laughs> exactly. Now, in a big respect, the fate of the world really is on Molly's shoulders, which then goes back to that scene with J.D. and his wife. And I did like, you know, she goes, so what are you going to tell me that you know, something like the fate of the world? Life hangs in the balance. Exactly. And he goes, well, if I told you, Yes. <laughs> What would you say? Yeah. Perfect. Yep. And, and then I certainly think we're headed to Julie and Charlie reevaluating the whole humanics program and where it's headed. And you'll wonder whether they're going to make some radical decision that impacts on the humanics ability to fight the hybrids. Yeah, that's right. Because we haven't really introduced that possibility too much. We've been thinking Ethan is going to affect some kind of change within the Humanics program, but it could be Julie and Charlie coming from the positions of having unwittingly stumbled into this situation to perhaps being able to actively combat it. Right, because on different levels at different times, the human race wants to eliminate each. I mean, obviously they want to eliminate the hybrids before they get started, and then there's always that question of artificial intelligence as being a threat. 
That's right. And it comes to the issue of trust in technology as well, and perhaps being overly trusting, like I mentioned. So yeah, a lot of different issues that play with the themes that show up in the show with alien life and artificial life. Well, let's uh, listen to what our listeners think about all this, because they've definitely got some opinions to share in our listener feedback segment. And we'll start with an old favorite, Leo, who always has a very clear eye with this show. And he says, there's an old adage in the TV business. Beware the change in opening music or the show's introductory exposition. And I hadn't noticed this, Dave, so I'm glad Leo pointed this out. He says, for the first half of the season in the intro to Extant, Molly tells us that Adu was dangerous and it was up to her to find the truth. Suddenly, Adu is extraordinary and search for the truth is gone from that opening voiceover. Did you notice that? I didn't. No, me either. So it's like they actually changed it to fit with Molly's new opinion. That's cool. So did Molly find the truth? If she did, what was it? Molly's a hybrid. The hybrids are peaceful. I think that's the one, actually. The government is evil. KFC's a secret recipe. <laughs> what truth did she find? Also, why can't the virus be deployed immediately? After all the pseudoscience about Molly's breakthrough, we simply learned that the virus is ready. However, we weren't treated to any information about how it gets delivered. Does it need to be sprayed on the hybrids like a bug spray, or can it be aerosolized and released into the air and thus spread worldwide quick, fast, in a hurry? I guess we'll find out, Leo. Not sure about that. Well, yeah, and, and I don't think to me that's a big concern. I think clearly they've determined how it's going to be delivered. You know, like I said, this is not falling skies. The military has full access to all of its planes, whatever they need. Yeah. So we'll find out the answer to that soon, I'm sure, Leo. After all of Molly's kicking and screaming about wanting Ethan back, Molly says, I can't spend time with you because I'm sick. <laughs> Everything Julie said about Molly was true, and we all knew it. I feel like the entire Julie Molly sleaze argument was a waste of time, especially given the show's limited run. I guess he's referring to the custody battle that seems to have come to nothing. Yeah, but to be fair, there's been a new problem placed before Molly. Right. And that as much as she loves her son, you know, she's, I, I think, forced to view the bigger picture. And I think it's more about how Ethan perceives that whole process rather than what Molly wants. Right. So that was the important change is, is Ethan perceiving who his family is. But uh, Leo goes on to say, Molly tells JD that the hybrids are smarter than us. They also have the ability to control people. So why do they need crazy, unstable Molly to communicate with humanity? And I think we addressed that in our discussion, Dave, didn't we? Yeah. Couldn't they just walk into CBS or CNN or the White House and convince 10-time reelected President Donald Trump that they come in peace? Perhaps the hybrids aren't as smart or peaceful as Molly thinks they are. Finally, and in all seriousness, what was the relevance of Mai Fong being an illegal? Like many sci-fi shows, Extant deals with philosophical issues. However, it has not delved into any political commentary. Mai Fong's immigration status had absolutely nothing to do with nor advanced the story in any way. The term illegal is offensive when used to describe a person and can be used as a racial slur. Shame on Extant. And I see where he's coming from here. I think, like I said earlier, that whole detail was specifically to have it so that this particular mother, who has lived through the pregnancy, has some pressures on her such that she can't reveal them to the general authority figures in her immediate community right yep so but good point leo all right well we also heard from georgetta 
Extant has finally gotten to the meat and potatoes. The addition of Jeffrey Dean Morgan has brought a new and delightful twist to the series. He and Hallie play very well against each other. When they are on the screen, you can't look away, not even for a popcorn break. <laughs> Last night's episode had so many levels, and I'll just concentrate on three. Oh, and I think this bears mentioning this is from an earlier episode. Uh, Georgetta's email came to us later than our last discussion. So. Okay. So she wants to concentrate on three points. First, human. Never mess with a mother who's fighting for her children, even if those children happen to be an alien and synthetic. <laughs> the base emotions are there. Motherhood and love. Second, Big bad government. The government reminds me of an onion. So many layers that go on unchecked until you pull them down. Building a synthetic that can think on its own and capable of killing with no remorse or fear. Lucy, phase two, has ideas of her own. Reminds me of another movie where machines decided the human race needed to be extinct. And I love the play on words in the opening sequence, which you mentioned a a bit ago. Glad to see that back. (laughs) Plus, I believe they sent Molly into space for the very idea of blending the two life forms. Wow. That's a cool idea. Yeah. Now, that's not something I really had thought about. And the thing about the big bad government that, you know, we talked a little bit about this during the podcast that on the one hand, you know, they do come across as villains. But on the other hand, they are tasked with saving, yeah. if we do think it's worthy of being saved, the human race. They're acting logically, even if we don't want them to take out the nice aliens. <laughs> right. And then third point, alienation. Molly's transformation is slow in building. Her abilities are growing along with her appetite. And the transfer of DNA, since the embryo was removed, Molly's experiencing all the emotions of the alien life form, the need to reproduce and conquer. It'll be interesting to see what happens when she meets her grandchildren. And we saw that in this episode. Extant has taken us for an interesting and exciting ride this season. What can we expect for season three? Yes, Georgetta, you're thinking like me. I'm being optimistic. (laughs) Yeah, Georgetta, thanks so much for contributing your feedback since you're uh, obviously a new person to our feedback segment. We really enjoyed those thoughts. And another new person who also came through to us a little bit late. And I think there's something weird going on with the feedback page again. Sorry about that. But Andy says, I love your podcast. It's so good. I'm just surprised that JD and Molly haven't hooked up yet. (laughs) I was wondering if Lucy is programmed for sex as she does use her feminine allure on men. So just curious. And very prophetically, Andy, of course, you saw the results of that question here in this episode. Yeah, but it is interesting you know, I don't know if Andy is watching humans because in that show, the AI actually have an adult aspect that has exactly. to be programmed. has to be activated. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. It has to be activated. Right. And, and we do see the husband make that bad decision to activate it one night. <laughs> but regardless, she is using that. And you wonder, is that part of her program or is it something she's just picked up as part of her experience? Yeah, the humanics are very unique in the androids on TV and movies <laughs> as they go. Because, you know, they really do have a large amount of autonomy by design. John's design. So, All right. Well, next we're going to hear from Barb, who has some interesting audio feedback to share with us. So take it away, Barb. Hello, Mike and Dave. This is Barb calling in with feedback on our double episode of Extant. I will say that I found the first hour more interesting than the second hour and thought the story really moved forward this week. Here are a few thoughts and observations. I'm not convinced that Anna is responsible for John's death as we were led to believe this week. I suspect that Anna made her own phone call after Julie called her 
and my bet is on Toby. Lucy's influence on Ethan continued this week. He thinks that Lucy is his real family, and she taught him that all humans lie. Ethan now wants to be a soldier, although Lucy told him that he could build his own army. I believe more strongly that we will see a confrontation between Ethan and Molly at some point, with Ethan convinced that his former mom is an enemy. All the Humanics are programmed based on Lucy, and she is on her way to becoming a loose cannon. I think this could ultimately lead to the aliens becoming an ally to the humans to fight the Humanics. Now this is the old human versus machine debate, but throwing aliens into the mix could create a very interesting dynamic. Good thing the Humanics have an expiration date. The flip side to that argument is, what are the aliens becoming? Adu said that the aliens come in peace, but Eris certainly doesn't display those tendencies. Now let's think about this. Molly is the original alien mom, so Adu is 50% human, 50% alien, and Tara, who is technically Molly's granddaughter, is 75% human and 25% alien. So, will the DNA continue to simply meld into the human race unless the aliens crossbreed? Or will this be the old blue-eyed, brown-eyed situation where the brown eyes are dominant and the blue eyes assimilate as a thing of, of the past? So will the aliens, with their superior thinking and healing, become the dominant trait as they breed with humans? If the aliens have mutated, will the virus that Molly provided to the government work? I'm not certain that it will, and I guess we'll find that out next week. Finally, I found it interesting that Toby used an Alexander the Great coin to access his superior machine. This coin was used to pay soldiers, taxes, and protection money to the barbarians, and it was not used for actual commerce. So I guess that says something about Toby. It's all about security and protection, and it's not necessarily about what is best for the people. That's it for this week. This is Barb signing out and planning on using the stairs rather than Otis Elevators. Oh, that's right. I forgot about the elevator being named Otis. That was a nice touch. All right. Well, first of all, why threaten Julie if Anna's not guilty? I don't really think it's Toby. I do think it's Anna. Oh, yeah. I totally agree. I think Anna is still the guilty one here and that Toby is being on the up and up. But I do love the humanic hybrid team up. I definitely think there's something to that and we should clearly keep an eye on that. And then like you, I'm going to have to continue to think things through in terms of the genetic makeup of the hybrids because, you know, by that reasoning, and I think it is sound reasoning in several generations, it's really going to be diluted. And, you know, how much power will the hybrids even have at that point? Yeah, I honestly hadn't thought of the fact that the second generation alien hybrids are going to be more human than aliens. So, yeah, they could be diluting their own stock in that sense. Thanks, Barb. All right. And then finally, we got an audio feedback from Yogabon. So let's take a listen to that. Hey, this is Yogabon, Bonita in Atlanta, leading feedback for the Extant podcast. Wishing to uh, say a great big thank you to Mike and Jay for taking this show on as part of their workload in podcasting. I love you guys. You do a great job. Um, I wanted to say, and I put this on the Facebook page too, I really enjoy the complex questions that are being raised this evening. 
like what does it mean to be fully human or partly human like the hybrid or human-like like the humanics? And which one of those is truly better? Human, hubris, and deception have made us the dominant species, but this will also be our undoing. What traits of the hybrids will be their undoing? And will the humanics save the day for the humans or for themselves? And maybe the real battle is going to be against the humanics after all. These are just some of the questions that came up for me. Really enjoyed the last double header episode. I think it was a really smooth and a wonderful show to watch. It was really vastly entertaining, so much better than the first season. I can't wait to see what's going to happen next. I love the callers you had. Uh, big shout out to Barb. Great contributions and, and many others. Anyway, I will sign off now before I babble on, but uh, perhaps I'm just becoming a hybrid. Yeah, good point, Benita. Perhaps you are, but I really am glad that we're not the only ones that are enjoying the deeper themes that this show is exploring. And it's very apparent that the season two has appealed to a, a genre audience that likes their intellect challenged. Don't you agree? I, I do agree. And it still, it even goes back to, I think what Leo was saying about the, you know, social commentary, the political commentary, and, you know, whether or not she should have been referred to as an illegal and all of that. And I get that, you know, we could certainly see this as a metaphor for the immigration issues we're having in our society at the present. But I don't want to get sidetracked because I think the larger issues that are being examined here are, for me, much more important, which is the idea of sentience. I mean, this is science fiction, and I'm not saying sci-fi shouldn't explore social issues. Of course it should. But let's not get sidetracked because this is a real issue. If we think that sentient AI is not on the horizon, then, you know, we are doomed to become extinct. (laughs) Or be victims of Skynet. And I think that's also a big theme here is the trust in technology and how that's the place that we're in right now, where we are dependent on our technology. And that's going to cause some problems down the road, perhaps. Yep. So thank you very much. And I'm glad, Benita, that you're enjoying season two as much as we are. But that's it for this edition of the Extant Podcast. Keep up with the show news and the fan interaction on Twitter by following us at ExtantGSM. And you can join our Facebook group, too. It's at Facebook.com slash groups slash ExtantPodcast. And Mike and I will be back next week with our discussion of Extant Episode 8 of Season 2 entitled Arms and the Humanic. But in the meantime, head on over to GoldenSpiralMedia.com slash feedback to share your thoughts. You can write a message, record a comment using your computer's microphone, or call 304-837-2278. And if you've enjoyed this episode of the Extant Podcast, please consider rating and reviewing us in iTunes. And we'll talk to you next weekend. 